there! This is the Evolution Sermon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that our message makes your week a bit more awesome. See you in church! So, this week, no, I chanced upon a CNA article about wellness. So, it was, a, it was based off a study called uh, Evolution Wellness Study. Okay, it's not by us, okay. <laughs> Evolution Wellness Study conducted by Fitness First, which involved more than 10,000 respondents across Southeast Asia, mainly Singapore, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia, Philippines, and Hong Kong. Well, Singapore didn't do very well. <laughs> so in our overall wellness ranking, Singapore came second last with a score of 69, just beating out Hong Kong 67. So I thought it would be interesting uh, to take a look at four sets of data and insights together. So the first set is on questions about health and fitness. Okay, so I know what I need to do to be healthy and fit. Okay, so the, the green one is Singapore, okay? So 85% said uh, I, I know what to do. I'm really ill, it's 78%. I'm physically active, that's three quarter. Uh, I have enough energy to get me through the day. About half, okay, it's getting lower and lower, right? Oh, I have no aches and pains on a normal day. Half, 50%. <laughs> Wait, just a survey. Who having any pain or aches right now? Oh my gosh, okay. Hey, you are young. <laughs> um, I feel like I get enough sleep each night, 36%. All right. Um, the last one I feel very interesting is I woke up feeling refreshed. It's like 31%. Any, anyone woke up feeling refreshed today? The one. All right, hey, fellow sanguine. <laughs> So, so the insight here, they say, right, is we are more tired than our neighbours. So in terms of just what to do to be healthy and fit, Singaporeans aren't too far off from the average age score. But knowing and doing what it takes to keep you energised are quite different things. The survey shows that 55% of Singaporeans have enough energy to carry them through the day and noted that perhaps external barriers such as lack of time stop them from living a healthier life. So the lack of sleep could be another source of power shortage. So only 36% have enough sleep each night and about a third wake up feeling refreshed. By comparison, the Asia um, average is almost 50% for those two attributes. So we are very, very low. Okay, so next set of questions. This is interesting. About our nutrition. Oh, no. Okay, since I'm looking at all the youth here, okay? So I consciously stay hydrated throughout the day, 70%. Awesome. Okay, hopefully it's water. It's not Coke or anything. <laughs> Okay, shots fired, okay. Uh, I eat whole foods more than processed food, 52%. Ah, I eat a balanced diet, 47%. I take nutritional supplements to complement diet, 36%. So the insight here is, we are eating a lot of junk food. <laughs> so for a country that prides itself on its culinary repertoire, we are not eating well. And it says, we don't mean dining at Michelin star restaurant, but the quality of food we eat. And in fact, the survey found that Singapore has the poorest eating habits among the six. Oh, I thought I'm healthy, eh? No. So for starters, only about half say that they eat more whole foods than processed ones, which nearly half eat um, balanced diet. Okay, so now, next one. Questions about our personal development. So I am open to try new things, majority, 84%. I take proactive steps when it comes to my personal development, 68%, not too bad. I have an optimistic um, outlook, 65%. I know how to manage my stress, 60%. I feel like I am in control of my life, same number, 60%. And the last one is very interesting. I feel stressed, 28%. Okay, it might seem low, right? But compared to 
the, the average we are high, okay? So the insight is, we are stressed. <laughs> so if you think like, um, no, if you think a lack of work-life balance is the cause of our stress, the survey has other findings. So compared to other countries, Singapore scored lower in terms of being proactive in our personal development. When it comes to mental resilience, we have a more negative outlook and a sense that we are not in control of our lives. It says here, it's no wonder that nearly 30% of Singaporeans feel stressed compared to 24% in other countries. And perhaps it's time we had a chat with our elders on stress management. Okay, baby boomers who are above 55 years old, on a whole, were found to be better at handling stress than Gen Z, according to the survey. Okay, I don't know who they survey, okay? Okay, last set of questions, right, is more on personal development. So I enjoy spending time with people who can help me grow 84%. I set myself goals that I'm working to achieve 66%. I look for opportunities and ways to improve myself 65%. I am an organized person 61%. Uh, I feel fulfilled, okay, now that's a drastic drop, right? 51%. I don't have enough time in my day, 36%. <laughs> Okay, I won't cover that. I already covered that before already, right? So the insight here is that our favorite refrain, meaning our favorite things to say, right, is I don't have enough time. Common, right? So you think that result-oriented Singaporeans are all about goal-setting and being organized, but it's not quite. According to the findings, only 66% set goals compared to the Asia average of 75%, and we are also way less organized than the rest. So like our Asia compatriots, um, we enjoy spending time with people who can help us grow, but when it comes to seeking out opportunities and ways to improve ourselves, we don't fare as well. And we are also more likely to feel unfulfilled and not have enough time in the day. So how many of you can relate to all these stats? Like, hey, it's kind of true, like, okay, about there, okay? So I was reflecting on these stats, right? And I began to think to myself that the things that we are doing well in should reflect in a better sense of overall well-being. Right? But it seems like that's not the case. So in modern studies, most will tell you that there are three components that uh, contribute to our overall well-being. They are the mind, the body, and the soul. Right? The mind is our mental health. How are we doing um, mentally, emotionally? Our body is our physical health, our fitness level. Are we getting enough nutrients? Are we sleeping enough? And it seems to me that in the world we are living in, we put a lot of focus on the well-being of our mind and our body. You know, there are a lot of resources available that we can tap onto to improve our mind, to improve our body. You know, with a number of self-help books out there, right, and life coaches in the world, it's easier now to pursue knowledge or to go for therapy to keep our minds healthy. With gyms, right, more gyms available, and class pass, of course, and health services available, it's easier to strengthen our physical body, to keep our body in shape and healthy by exercising or eating and sleeping well. You just need maybe a little bit of willpower to do it. And who in the world wouldn't want to be smart and healthy, right? No? No? Right? I do. <laughs> but it's interesting that we have so many resources to help condition our mind and our body, but yet we still find so many people living with anguish, purposelessness, and feeling empty on the inside. And that's because human beings, we have not really figured out a way to condition our souls. Like, what is soul? It's like soul. I can't see, can't touch, right? No, our soul houses the meaning and purpose of our lives. Our souls are where our principles, our values, our virtue lies along with our desires and motivations. Our souls gives meaning to our thoughts, our actions, and our emotions. 
Therefore, our souls are important. And when we only condition our minds and our bodies, but not our souls, then we are as good as the walking dead on earth. Right? We stop actually living, you know? And the fact is that our souls are the very thing that connects us with God. God is the one who gifted us our souls. So Genesis 2.7 it's on the screen, it says, God formed man out of dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life. The man came alive, a living soul. Yes. Now you might ask me, Abby, you know what does this got to do with purpose and calling? Well, what I'm getting at is that over the last two years, you've been you know, preaching great messages in church. You know, we have been accumulating a lot of knowledge. We have conditioned our minds and you have a lot of time to condition your body. You know, some of us here right, are even more well-versed you know, than I am at these things. But we are missing the final piece of our well-beings, which is our souls. And for some of us sitting here today, perhaps you feel like life is like oh, tiring, right? Every time it's like, oh, stress, tired. You feel a sense of purposeless, purposelessness. You, know, you ask God, what is the meaning of life? Or you look at the sunset, what is the meaning of life? And what is God's call in my life? No, friends, if that is you, perhaps your soul is unwell. So Habakkuk 2.4, in Message Version, it says, Look at that man, bloated by self-importance, full of himself but soul empty. But a person in right standing before God through loyal and steady believing is fully alive, really alive. So the title of my message is, you know, I'm here, Lessons from Daniel and Friends. And we're going to be looking at the lives of Daniel and his friends, and we're going to learn from them what we can do to recondition our souls so that we can live the life God has called us to. So number one, live with integrity. Wow, starts out very, very strong already. Live with integrity. So we're going to start at Daniel chapter 1, okay? So take out your Bible, you know, flip to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to read it together. Okay, if you have a physical Bible, take it out, show off to your friends. Okay, if you're there, just say yes. Daniel 1. Okay, so some of us read it um, during the quiet time earlier, right? So to give you some context, uh, God allowed Babylon, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, to have victory over Israel, and it, this marks the beginning of the Israelites' exile. Okay? So I'm going to read from um, verses 3 to 8. And in the CB version, it says, Nebuchadnezzar instructed his highest ofi official, um, Ashpenaz, to choose royal descendants and members of the ruling class from the Israelites. Good-looking young men without defects, skilled in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, conversant with learning, and capable of serving in the king's palace. Ashpenaz was to teach them the Chaldean language and his literature. The king assigned these young men daily allotments from his own food and from the royal wine. Ashpenaz was to teach them for three years so that at the end of that time, they could serve before the king. Among these young men from the Judeans were Daniel, Hadaniah, Mishael, and Azariah. But the chief official gave them new names. He named Daniel Belteshazzar, Hadaniah Shadrach, Mishael Meshach, and Azariah Abednego. And then verse 8, it was so off. It's like, Daniel decided that he wouldn't pollute himself with the king's rations or the royal wine, and he appealed to the chief official in the hopes that he wouldn't have to do so. So now, you know, here the Bible introduced our main characters. Okay? Daniel, okay, the friends are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So apparently, they are four good-looking young men, smart, wise, charismatic, and are potential leaders. Just imagine four Damien's there, right? Or high praise, like, oh. 
So, so and, and, and the interesting thing that happened was in verse 7. You know, Daniel and his friends were given new names. Like, why do they need to have new names? Do they have their name already? So this is significant back then because in their time, the Israelites named their children to reflect the character of God. Daniel means God is my judge. Hananiah means the Lord shows grace. Mishael means who is like God. And Azariah means the Lord helps. So you see how their names are important. Every time you say Daniel, right, you're proclaiming the character of God. The God is my judge. Or God is gracious. There is no one like our God. God can help us. And by changing their names, what the Babylonians wanted was to erase their identity and to forget about God completely. And instead, the Babylonians wanted the four of them to worship their gods instead. So Daniel was renamed to Belteshazzar, meaning Baal protect his life. Baal was the chief Babylonian god. Hananiah was renamed to Shadrach, which probably means under the command of Aku, which is the moon god. Mishael was renamed to Meshach, probably means, you know, who is like Aku. And Azariah was renamed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego, um, the Babylonian god of learning and writing. So, despite their name change, right, Daniel did something really off with his new identity. Okay, verse 8, it says, Daniel decided that he wouldn't pollute himself with the king's rations or the royal wine. And he appealed to the chief official in the hopes that he wouldn't have to do so. Daniel decided that he would not pollute himself by following the king's diet plan. So perhaps here, Daniel remembers his identity in God. That even subjected to his name change, Daniel still decides to live a pure life for God like he would any time. You see, what Daniel did here was that he acted on integrity by staying true to his soul, the very thing that God had put in him in the first place. Now, integrity isn't the prettiest word today, right? Integrity is rough. Maybe that's why there's a grit inside there. The word integrity evolved from the Latin adjective integer, meaning whole or complete. It is defined as an undivided or unbroken completeness or a state of being complete or whole. Okay, it's slightly different from shalom. So in a nutshell, any thought, word or action that is oriented towards the wholeness of self, others and relationships is one of integrity. Living with integrity means being true and authentic to our code of beliefs or worldviews or our identity. It means that others can rely on us to act consistently and honestly in accordance to this code. So Daniel knows who he is and his purpose in God. And even when he is in a difficult situation, even when the world promises him a better life if he were to forego his God-given identity, he decides to have integrity to be whole and complete, to stick to a godly life. And mind you, you know, what Daniel did, right, was not pure rebellion and recklessness, okay? No, I mean by the fact that Daniel was selected by the Babylonians because he was skilled in all wisdom and possessed great knowledge. Surely a person like that had considered all the pros and the cons for his actions, right? But even while it seems like it makes more sense to give in, Daniel chose to have integrity and stick to what he believed in. And I wonder how many of us would do the same. Now, perhaps you find yourself similar in Daniel's situation. Now, for the youths here, you know, growing up is exciting. I hope, I hope it's exciting. <laughs> you know, you get exposed to a lot of things in the world, right? You know, some of us might do well and excel in our studies and or in our extracurricular. 
you know, we might even gain recognition and encouragement that we might become successful in the future when we study hard or when we follow a certain path to success. But at the same time, you feel this tension in your soul that something is not right. That as you pursue these things, that you feel dreaded and tired most of the time. And I'm not talking about the burn you feel from working hard, okay? That is, that is normal. <laughs> I'm talking about the burn you feel because you find yourself lacking purpose in the things that you do. When you're asking yourself, what's the point of doing all these things? You know, why am I still not happy? And for the adults here, perhaps you feel the same. You've gone out to work and you get all sorts of advice on how to be successful at work. You know, do this, do that. Work hard, work smart, you know, make important connections. And some of us might even have done something bad to others so that we can get ahead of them. You know, we might lie, manipulate, or we use the excuse of, that's how the world is. Everyone does it, it's okay. But at the end of the day, you ask yourself, why am I still feeling so drained doing all these things? And what's the point of having fortune, have fame, but I don't feel happy on the inside? And the worst part is when you, when you come to church, right, you hear all these great messages about purpose and calling, but then you feel this sense of disconnection on the inside. You know, who we are and who we want to be doesn't match. There is a gap in our lives. So New York Times writer David Brooks sums it up nicely. He says, if you live for external achievement, years pass and the deepest parts of you go unexplored and unstructured. It is easy to slip into a self-satisfied moral mediocrity. You grade yourself on a forgiving curve. You figure as long as no, you are not obviously hurting anybody and people seem to like you, you must be okay. But you live with an unconscious boredom separated from the deepest meaning of life and the highest moral joys. Gradually, a humiliating gap opens between your actual self and your desired self, between you and those incandescent souls you sometimes meet. So you see, to live with integrity requires us to be true to our souls. No, we need to have a clear understanding of what we want to achieve, who we want to be, and what we want to hold as the most important. And to maintain harmony between these objectives and values and our decisions and actions. And as a matter of fact, no, this commitment will often be challenged. You know, all of us are prone to act in the moment and to maximize you know, short-term benefits, right? It feels good. <laughs> to make choices based on emotions rather than rational consideration, to ignore later concerns when the overall proposition is attractive, yeah. it's exciting. You know, living in integrity will often require us to choose the more difficult path. You know, we, may, we may have to turn down attractive opportunities because accepting them would compromise our values, our principles at the expense of our souls. And we are very likely to have to dig deep for strength to act with integrity when under considerable like family, work, societal, or financial pressure to simply compromise. Yes. So as tempting as it might be to make small compromises here and there, we need to remember that this will often lead us into bigger compromises that will take us further from our goals. And the disconnection between who we are and who we want to be will be increasingly hard to close. So friends, sitting here today, if this is you, be true to your soul. Have integrity. You see, it's very normal to experience gaps in our lives. You know, it's ebb and flow of lives. But, when, but if we don't do anything to close that gap, we will only get bigger. Our lives will become distant to our purpose. We become so disconnected with our souls that you know, it won't be long till you fall out of alignment with God. You know, and if this is you, 
you just have to make a simple decision in your life to choose integrity, to act in integrity, to be true to who you are, who God made you to be. Awesome? And the second one, so first one is integrity. The second one is uphold loyalty. Wow, it's getting heavier, heavier. It's going to be heavy. It's going to be heavy. Okay, uphold loyalty. So go back to your Bible. Go down two chapters in Daniel 3. I'm going to read from verse 10 to 18. So it says here, Your Majesty, so he's talking to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you gave a command that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the zither, the lyre, uh, harp, flute, and every kind of instrument should bow down and worship the gold statue. So back then, Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue for himself. Okay? So anyone who wouldn't bow and worship would be thrown into the furnace of the flaming fire. Now, there are some Jews, some Jews, one who you appointed to administer the province of Babylon, specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have ignored the command. They don't serve your gods and they don't worship the gold statue you have set up. In a violent rage, Nebuchadnezzar ordered them to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, they were brought before the king. Now, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? If you are now ready to do so, bow down and worship the gold statue I've made when you hear the sound of horn, pipe, zither, lyre, harp, flute, and every kind of instrument. But if you want to worship it, I will be, you will be thrown straight into the furnace of flaming fire, then what God will rescue from my power? Seems very harsh, right? Verse 16, Shadrach, Mishan, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to answer your question. Oh, dang. Psych. So he says, if our God, the one we serve, is able to rescue us from the furnace of flaming fire and from your power, your majesty, then let him rescue us. But if he doesn't, know this for certain, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statues you've set up. And of course, we learn later that the king got very, very angry and threw them into the burning furnace, but God rescued them from the fire. So it's really an exciting story. If you haven't read it yet, I recommend you to read it on your own. So the focus right now right, is the moment before the fire. So you see, the three friends are, are faced in the life and death situation. You know, the king was very angry and he was threatening them. But the three friends decided to express loyalty to God. And you know, all of us here, we love verse 17, right? God will rescue us. But then verse 18 seems like a bit of downer, right? It's like, even if God doesn't rescue us, like, oh, no faith, is it? And, and, and if it was me, right, if I was in their shoes, you know, I would say something like, if God doesn't rescue us, then, okay, like, we consider, like, maybe we bow down to you, like. <laughs> right? Just to save our own lives, won't you do that? It's like, oh, wisdom, right? But you see, loyalty is when even the situation is unfavorable, you still choose to trust and believe in God. And he's saying that even at the expense of our own lives, we still trust God for his plans for the greater good. And we hope that God will rescue us. But no, even if he doesn't, um, we are still loyal to him. Now, again, loyalty isn't the pretty word. <laughs> I mean, we love people who are loyal to us, right? But when it comes to us being loyal to people, we're like, mm, okay, I'll consider again. Maybe not, huh? You know, some people might even tell you that being too loyal is foolish. You know, never trust anyone fully. And I would say that, yes, be smart in choosing people you are loyal to. But in this case with God, I don't see a reason why you shouldn't be loyal to God. I mean, I believe that as long as you're sitting here, God has done so much in your lives. 
And God has blessed you, you know, with finances, with relationships, friendships, our careers, and many more. God has been loyal to us in small ways and big ways. And even in the times that we aren't loyal to Him, God was still loyal to us. And what we can do little for God is to reciprocate and to be loyal to Him. So for those of us who are new in TIVO, right, you know, you might look at your leaders or your friends who have been here the very first time since they stepped into church, meaning those who are longer, okay? And you might think, what keeps them going on, you know? Ah, COVID so hard already, still want to like, wow, push on and like do all these things, right? You know, I will tell you that the answer is that it's because of our loyalty to God and to people. You know, for our leaders here, we have seen so many people come and go in TIVO. You know, people whom we have deeply invested in. Some are even our closest friends. And of course, we are at peace, okay? In the sense that we have done our best for people and hopefully they figure out their own relationship with God. But the matter of fact is that it still hurts to see people go. And you know, when I look at my leaders, CJ, Karis, Regina, Zihan, and all my friends who have been here all along, you know, if I were to put myself in their shoes, right? Why, if they have been through with people, you know, I would have given up, you know, have all the reason to give up on God, on TiVo, on people. But the reason why we are still here serving faithfully and passionately is because we are loyal to God. No, we are loyal to the community here, the vision that God has given us. And even when trust is broken at times, we still believe in God and people. Even when we ourselves, you know, are not doing well in life, we still make it a point to sow and invest in people. You know, taking time to counsel some of us, to hang out, to listen, to listen to our problems, to pray for us. So, okay, let me be clear here. I'm not complaining, okay? <laughs> okay, just to be clear. What I'm saying is that, that the reason why so many of us are here serving and doing the things we do isn't just simply because we are caught by God. We are doing all these things because of our loyalty in our relationship with God and people. Because we have experienced God and the love of people so real that through the good times and bad times that we can put our absolute trust and be loyal to God and to us. And you know, my hope is that everyone here, you'll choose to uphold loyalty in your life towards God, towards your leaders and your friends. So we talk about integrity and loyalty. And I want to say that these two things are the things that guard your soul. So we can tell that someone's soul is unwell when you see that they lack loyalty, they lack integrity in their life. No, they are no longer true to themselves, no longer true to others. They show symptoms of sometimes lying, manipulating, gossiping, etc. Their lives become messy because they hop on to every attractive opportunity that passes by in their life. And because their soul is unwell, they will find all sorts of ways to heal it. And their world begins to shrink to the level of self-sufficiency. You know, they begin to see the world through their own lens and everything is about them. Ever ever meet people like that? (laughs) My pride, my needs, my wants, me, me, me. Right? And they will always ask themselves, what can I do to feel good for myself? What can I do to feel better for myself? And when we live our lives like this, we don't realize that we begin to do more damage to our souls than we are actually healing it. You know, sitting here, if you relate to this, right, I want to ask you this question. It's, it's a tough question, okay? At what expense did I compromise my soul to get to where I am today? Let me just say that one more time. At what expense did I compromise my soul, the very thing that God gave me to get to where I am today? You know, it's, it's a very tough question. 
but we've got to be honest. Now, here's the sad part. No, when we compromise our souls at the expense of something, we begin to put value of our souls to those things. You know, if you can compromise your souls for that $500 pay raise, then you are saying your soul is worth that $500. Now, if you can compromise your soul for a leadership title, then your soul is only worth that leadership title. If you can compromise your soul to manipulate others to get ahead, then your soul doesn't value relationships. And to me, I feel sad when I see people behaving like this because it tells me that your soul isn't important at all. Okay, very tough. But of course, there's a saving grace. So sitting here, you know, if you acknowledge that you have made certain compromises to your soul just to be you know, happier, to be richer, to be a little bit more successful in the future, to have more fame, more power, but now you say that you want to reclaim your soul to come back to God again, to have like a reset, right? If that is you, then friend, you need to experience humility. To be able to tell yourself and humble yourself and admit that you've made those mistakes and you are willing to reconcile. Reconcile with God, reconcile with people, and with our souls. Which brings me to my last point, number three, commit to a life that is bigger than yourself. So here's where I introduce Daniel's fourth friend, Mr. Nebuchadnezzar. Like, oh, yeah, he's a friend, man. Like, I thought he's like enemy. <laughs> he's a friend, okay? He's a friend. So Daniel 3 verses 14, um, let's read it again. I'm going to highlight some points there, right? So Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the ghost that you I've set up? If you are now ready to do so, bow down and worship the ghost that you I've made. When you hear the sound of a horn, pipe, zither, lyre, harp, flute, and every kind of instrument. But if you, worship, you won't worship it, you will be thrown straight into the furnace of flaming fire. Then what God will rescue you from? My power. <laughs> okay, now you really is like, oh my gosh, this guy, overinflated ego, right? <laughs> but the fact is, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of like the perfect personalization on the personification of us. And I know we all wish we think that we could be, oh, I want to be like Daniel, I want to be like Daniel's friends, right? Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, cool, heroes of the story. But then if we were to take time to just reflect on our own lives, who we are currently and who we want to be, I'm sorry to break you the news, but some of us here, we are more like Nebuchadnezzar than Daniel and friends. Okay, don't need a few bad so bad first. There's a saving grace at the end, Okay. So you see, Nebuchadnezzar sees life only through his own lens, his own perspective. Now all he wants is more power, more success, my kingdom, my dreams, my law, it's all about me. No, my way or no way. And when things doesn't get in his way, he makes it personal. No, filling himself with anger, jealousy, stubbornness, emo, and rashness. So verse 19, let's look at this, chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and his face twisted beyond recognition. I find it quite funny, okay? (laughs) Twisted beyond recognition because of these three guys. In response, he commanded that the furnace be heated to seven times its normal heat. In verse 22, it says, Now the king's command had been rash, and the furnace was heated to such an extreme that the fire's flame killed the very man who carried Shadrach, Mish, and Abednego in it. 
So here's what, here's what I want to say. You know, when your life is just about yourself, then we are just waiting for bitterness, anger, jealousy to accumulate in our souls. And the worst thing is that people get hurt in the process. And as, as I read more about Nebuchadnezzar, I also began to feel sad for him. You know, I began to realize that with so much power, fortune and fame at his dispense, his soul was tormented. You know, perhaps that's why he was so obsessed with Daniel and his friends and with God. No, he couldn't understand why Daniel and friends wouldn't just submit to his way of doing things. So I just want to share with you, you know, that during the prayer retreat in Penang, right, as I was praying and talking to God you know, about my calling and purpose and how I wanted to be like Daniel and friends who have such great integrity and loyalty in their lives, then I, I felt God saying to me, you know, evaluate my life right now and see if I'm living the life of who I want to be. And that's when I realized I was very far from them. <laughs> and in fact, God pointed me towards Nebuchadnezzar and saying, that's who you are becoming. I will tell you, that was one of the most humbling moments in my life. You know, some of us think that, oh, being a leader in church means we are perfect people, right? Like, holy, yay, godly, awesome. But the truth is that we struggle in life just like any of us here. And I realized that even all these years of me trying to love God, to grow church, there were far too many moments that I've made decisions because it was all about me. Right? Even to bring friends and grow church, awesome. But for me, it's like, you no, know, it was like a KPI. Now, I feel good when I do better than my friends in church. No, to hold my skills and serve faithfully in ministry so that I can look good in front of others and impress them. And, and what was worse, I feel like bashing myself out right now, right? And what was worse is that I packaged all this under God's name, you know, like, like I'm doing this for God. It's also aligned with God's will, right? You know, man? You know, I'm happy. The church is happy. God, you're happy. It's a win-win. But then I also realized that that actually wasn't really about God. It wasn't really about church. It wasn't really about others. It was just all about me. My own pride, my ego, my need for acceptance and belonging. No, it's like the Adobe surround sound is all around you. I said this sound is all about me. Like all the sound around me is like me, 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 me. And then that was when I felt God saying, whose kingdom are you building? Wow, that really hurts, you know. And, and, and he says, you know, if you truly want to close a gap between the life you have right now and the life that you want, which is of Daniel and friends, it is not impossible. You just have to commit to a life that is bigger than yourself. And that, that was when I felt God speaking to me to live a life of integrity. You know, be true to who God has made me to be and called me to do. Always choose integrity. Choose to uphold loyalty. Be loyal to God. Be loyal to people. And not be swayed by the world and my own ego. And lastly, to commit. The key word is commit. Not just today I say I commit, that's it. It's commit and live the life that is bigger than myself. So perhaps that's some of us today. You know, especially, I just want to speak to those who are just gone out to work, right? You know, the world tells us to be successful, to be rich, to be powerful, but at the heart of it, sometimes it's just all about us. My fame, my fortune, my success, my livelihood. 
And what's worse is that we put God in our equation for success. God, you're either part of it or you're not. Bless me or not. You know, friends, your life is much bigger than just who you are. You know, Daniel and friends were committed to live a life bigger than themselves. No, it wasn't just about them and their survival or their own fame, their own fortune. It was about God. It was about God's promise to rescue Israel from the Babylonian captivity. Daniel and friends lived for God, for their friends, and for God's people. They lived for a hope for a better future for all. And that's my hope here is that all of us, we will choose to commit ourselves to live a life that is bigger than ourselves. And that's when your soul starts to feel alive. And that's when you find true meaning and purpose. So, and if you relate to Nebuchadnezzar today, right, you know, you're not at a dead end. Now, what you can do is to surround yourself with people who are bigger than themselves. And in case you don't know where to start, just look around you, okay? These are the people, right? Now, I believe in Tibo, we have big people here, amen? Um, of course, I'm sure not all of us here are Nebuchadnezzar's, right? There are for sure Daniels, Hananiah's, Mishael's, and Azariah's here. And, and my hope is that as we spend more time with people bigger than themselves, that we also begin to see God for ourselves. You see, at the end of the burning furnace story, God reveals himself through the three friends to Nebuchadnezzar, the fourth man in the flames. And the moment Nebuchadnezzar sees it, he was humbled. And from the way he reacted and his response, he was so sure and convinced about God that it sounds like he found something that he was missing out for his entire life. That my life isn't just about myself, my kingdom, the things that I want to do, but there is something even greater, a greater meaning and purpose out there. 